0: Amen. Let's Before we do anything, let's do the most important thing. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Father, we thank You for this day. God, we praise You for who You are and what You did for us, God. Lord, we ask that today Your name be glorified. Lord, we ask, Father, that You touch our hearts today, God, that You deepen our faith, Lord, and strengthen our resolve. Lord, we love You and we praise You in the name of Your Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Um, Amen. so just very briefly, hi, my name is Trevor Rubenstein. If you can't tell by my name or my appearance, I'm Jewish. Um, I actually was born into a Jewish home in northern Minnesota in a city called Virginia, Minnesota. Um, when I was young, we moved to Colorado area. I was a troubled kid. I always had a lot of issues with uh, depression and being suicidal and things of that nature. But uh, at a certain point in time in my life, Uh, after I was expelled from school and going through a real bad time, I entered into a local community college and I was actually tricked into a Bible study. Um, And I say tricked because as a Jewish person the one thing that we know is that it is not allowed for us to believe in Jesus. Um, And so what occurred at this point in time is I, for the first time, read the words of Jesus. I felt the presence of God. These three things permeated my mind. God is real. Everything that I am doing in my life is separating me from Him and this person, Jesus, is the only way that I can come to know Him. After struggling with this mightily, eventually I gave my life to the Lord. And He saved my life in more ways than one because I'm thoroughly convinced that if it was not for Him, I would have taken my life. But because of Him, I had it here on earth and then I have it even more so because I have it eternally through what He did for me. And so I became brokenhearted, really, for the people that I knew and that I loved. And so I, I began to do a lot of outreach. But one of the things that I did was I began to study very intently Judaism, because I wanted to be able to reach my family with this saving faith. Because for me, Jesus, life and death. And so I an organized called Chosen People Ministries. Chosen People Ministries is an organization that's the oldest group in, the, in America that reaches out to the Jewish people with the Gospel of Jesus. We're all over the world. We're in every continent of the world except Antarctica and uh, I, I don't know Jewish people living there, but Minnesota's cold enough so I don't want to check. <laughs> and so by the grace of God, I really I have this wonderful opportunity to serve in this amazing ministry. And to be able to even present these things like I'm going to present today, how many here people here have ever seen a Passover seder before? Good. Okay. So many of you praise God. And how many of you have ever seen one that really is full of Jesus and the traditions that we go through? Okay, a couple of you have seen that too. Praise God. So this is this is what we're going to be doing today. I take a little bit of a different approach than some other people uh because of our brief time. Uh well, you know, just just so you know, a Passover Seder typically is about four hours long, so get ready. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Everybody laughs, but wait till I actually do it for four hours, you no, But but so so We we cut out a lot of information, but I really want to focus on some historically important things and specifically even things that we do within within the Christian culture as the followers of Jesus that really come from this tradition. Because when Jesus was presenting the Passover to His disciples, He was powerfully showing them about His character, His nature, and about what He was going to do prophetically in just a couple days. And so, what we're going to do is we go into this and we'll break down what the Passover Seder is. So, if you guys have your Bibles with you, we are going to focus in Luke chapter twenty-two. The reason that we're in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter twenty-two, number one, is because it's Jesus having his last supper with his disciples, which is a Passover seder. And in Luke chapter twenty-two, uh, Jesus, uh, the the author of Luke, he gives the most description regarding the Passover of any of the authors in the New Testament. And so in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And so, what happens for the Jewish people is the Passover is not just a time where we gather. By the way, Passover ended yesterday for the Jewish people. So yesterday was the last day of Passover, which is uh, why there was such a horrible tragedy that there was a shooting in a synagogue in particular in San Diego area because it was a, t- a very important time for the Jewish people historically. But the, but the Passover ends yesterday, but what happened was is in preparation for Passover coming up, we have to do a lot of work. And some of the things that we have to do is we have to remove any leaven from our house, any yeast. So all the delicious, you know, bread Cakes and muffins and bagels that we love so much. All of those things have to be cleaned out of our home. We gather them together. We either throw them away or we sell them to a non-Jewish Gentile neighbor for a week. And that's actually true. We we really do do one of those two things. Uh, And after a week... You know, it's, it's a week old now, so we should be able to buy it back for a discount. But usually we don't do that. That's not usually how it's done. But anyway, so 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 there's preparation that we do. But during the time of Jesus, they also would have done preparation for the Passover. So what happened was the Jewish people would travel from all over the world and would come to Jerusalem for this specific event because there were three days in particular that the Jewish people were instructed that they had to come to Jerusalem for. And the Passover was one of them. So most of the people weren't from there and they wouldn't have necessarily had a place to stay. But they needed a room, they needed a place, a home to be able to celebrate the Passover. So this is why they found the upper room. And it was something that would have been available for... so for travelers at this point in time. and They wouldn't have necessarily had their own home to be able to have the Passover in. But what would have had to happen about 10 days before the Passover is they would have had to go and buy a lamb. And they would have purchased this lamb because the lamb had to be sacrificed specifically on the Passover. And so what happened was they would bring a lamb, they would buy it, They would take care of it, they would feed it, and they would walk side by side with it, taking care of it, while they were leading up to the ten days to where the lamb had to be sacrificed on their account. Most likely, prophetically, this lamb was pointing to the people as to exactly what was going to happen with Jesus, our Lamb of God, in just ten days from when they would have purchased it. But the other thing that they would have done is they would have gone into the upper room and cleaned out all of the leaven, all of the yeast, and that's what we do as the Jewish people. And so the same thing would have been done because it was an instruction from Moses. And so the Passover is a Sabbath day. Do you guys know what Sabbath means? And so Sabbath means rest. And so what happens during the Sabbath day is the Jewish people weren't allowed to do specific works. And one of the things that was considered work for the Jewish people on the Sabbath is lighting fire. But yet the for the Jewish people, days be Not at an ambiguous time at midnight, but actually when the sun goes down. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it says it was evening and morning the first day. So it starts with evening. So as soon as the sun goes down, they would consider that the next day. So for example, tonight, when the sun goes down, that would be considered Monday in the Jewish calendar. But yet for the Jewish people, the Passover is a Sabbath, so they couldn't work on that day, and so they couldn't light the candles. But yet Passover begins at sundown, and this is an ancient tradition that existed way before electricity. So one of the things that the Jewish people would do is they would light candles before sundown so that they would have light throughout the evening and could celebrate the Passover with their families. You see, because the Passover is a time where the Jewish people all gather That we're religious or not. Much like how a lot of non-Jewish people will celebrate Christmas even if they're not religious, we would celebrate the Passover because it's a time of family gathering. It's intended to be as to where we We wouldn't have even existed as a people. And this is one of those examples. And so... Is a, for, for many Jewish holidays, we kind of have this tradition. It goes like this: They tried to kill us, we survived. Let's eat. Hey, yeah. And so this passage... for that in the home is the eldest woman in the home. So typically the the, uh, matriarch of the home will come and she would recite a prayer and then she would light the candles. We do this because we understand that much like the Lord's miraculous intervention for us as a family existing here today, that we wouldn't exist as a people if it wasn't for the, the eldest woman, the matriarch of our family either. And so she comes and she lights the candles, really introducing the light of the world into the ceremony, into the celebration. And because of this tradition, I learned actually a long time ago that it's not wise to ask who's the eldest woman in the room. <laughs> so, I'm going to say the prayer and I'll light the candles. The prayer goes like this. Baruch <laughs> atad anu, elon, chamotzi lehem, asher kidi vanu fitzivanu l'hadik, king of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commands us to kindle the fire on this holiday. And so what we do is we then light the candles and that begins the Passover celebration for us. And You guys will notice that I have four cups in front of me. And these four cups each represent a different time frame during the Passover Seder because Seder really has to do with being in order. And that's what we do is we have an order and a structure to what we do, much like what Jesus had with his disciples during the Passover that they had. Something that we do during the Passover is we all sit in very comfortable positions. We sit in reclined positions. And the reason that we do that is because we were slaves, but now during this time we remember the sweetness and how wonderful it is to be free, so we're very comfortable in our seating typically. And if we look in Luke chapter 22... It says this, starting in verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, Jesus, He reclined at the table and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So again, it's a time of family. Jesus would have been really would have shown that he really saw them as family, that they have similar origins, that they're, they're coming together and they would not exist if it was not for the miraculous intervention of our Lord, much like the Jewish people celebrate during the Passover. See, this first cup that we have is called the Kiddush cup. It's from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means holy. Paul or excuse me uh, uh, Isaiah when he comes into the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 6 and he sees all of the angels and they're worshiping and they're singing "Kadosh kadosh kadosh" which means holy holy holy. And so the the kiddish cup it really means sanctification, set apart, pulled out of. And we have this cup because it reminds us that while we uh, were in slavery that the Lord called us out of the world, he called us into freedom. And He called us holy because He called us into His presence for His purposes. And it's interesting because we as believers in Jesus understand that the Lord has also called us out of the world. And He has called us into His kingdom and He has set us apart to be holy for His name. Holy meaning set apart for Him. And so what we do is we take the, the cup and we say this prayer. Baruch Borei prehagafen, which means blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings us the fruit from the vine. And then we all pass the cup and we drink of it. And interestingly, during the Passover Seder that Jesus had with his disciples, if you look in verse 17, there's a cup that they drink before they actually take communion. And do we have multiple cups from the Seder dinner? So that you'll see that illustrated here. So in verse 17, it says, He took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. You see, for the Jewish people, then, this is a time of remembering where we come from. So we thank God at this point in time. When we go through these songs, a kiddish prayer and and songs that really thank God for who he is and what he did. And that if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here because if it wasn't for his miraculous invention, we could have been wiped out by the Egyptians. If it wasn't for his miraculous intervention, we wouldn't have even been born because we all trace our ancestries to, to the miraculous birth of Isaac that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But so, really it's a time of remembering and understanding. So we come together as a family so our children will know where they come from. So they don't just, they don't just see life for where they're at right now, but they remember how they got to be here in the first place. What our origins are, what our beginnings are, our cultural identity as people. And so one of the things that we do during this time is we take what we call the carpas. It's partially. fruitful we were when we were in Egypt and even afterward, and how we multiplied greatly. And what we do with the parsley is we actually dip it twice into salt water. We say a prayer, Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei uh, Pri which means, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings us the fruit from the earth. And what we do is we eat the parsley that is dipped twice in the salt water, and the reason that we dip it twice in salt water is because it reminds us of the tears of our ancestors when they were in servitude, when they were slaves. And it, it breaks our hearts because we understand that while they suffered that we now have blessings. And so we appreciate our origins and our beginnings as opposed to just taking advantage of the comfort that we have at this point in time. Something that we also do during the Passover Seder at this time is we, we take something called matzah. See, matzah is bread without leaven in it, without any yeast. We call it the bread of affliction, and if you had to eat it for a week, you'd understand why. (laughs) Can you guys see the holes in the matzah? You see, the matzah has holes in it because it's not supposed to rise, it's supposed to stay flat. And so we don't put yeast in it. And when we and before we bake it, we usually take our. There's a rolling instrument when it's manufactured. Most of us purchase it these days, honestly. Um, But uh, but the rolling instrument has little pins in it, and it pokes holes in the bread so that it doesn't rise. But as it pokes holes in the bread, it leaves little rivets. And because it has rivets, you'll notice that it almost has like a striped look to it. You guys see that? And so now with the matzah, what we do is we have actually three pieces of matzah into one pouch. So it's three in one. And with the matzah and the three in one, we take out the middle piece of matzah. And the middle piece of matzah right here is what we do is we take it and we break it. The larger of the two pieces of matzah, usually not this big, I didn't break it right, but it works. But uh, the larger of the two pieces of matzah, we do with it, is we take it and we wrap it in a cloth. It's actually called the afikomen, which isn't even a Hebrew word; it's a Greek word. And much like many Jewish traditions, we're really not sure as to the origins of the name of this. With the Jewish people, it works. It works in such a way to where they say that if you have three rabbis, you get or two rabbis, excuse me, you will get three opinions. And, 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 and it's really true with a lot of these traditions because, uh, for example, there's many traditions as to what this represents when we have these three pieces of matzah in one pouch. You know, some people say, well, it, it means the people of Israel, the, the Levites and the Cohens. Others will say, you know, it means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it really doesn't describe everything that's being done and what the possible meaning is as deep as our faith in Yeshua Jesus does. What we do is, so we take the matzah, we break the middle piece, like I said, we wrap it in a cloth, and then we take that cloth and we hide it somewhere. So really, it's taken and it's hidden to where the kids don't know, because we have all the kids close their eyes, and then we continue, and the rest of the matzah goes back into the bag. And that really ends the first cup, the first section of the Passover. The next section of the Passover, this is called the cup of uh, deliverance. And it really has to do with our history, with our origins, where we come from. One of the things that we do is we go through these four questions where children will ask questions, parents will answer the questions. It's very interactive with the children intentionally because we want them to be part of this and to remember their history. And so the second cup really goes through, like I said, the history of the people and who we are as the Jewish people. And so we continue. There's there's different sections during this cup, again, where we're saying different prayers and we're following different things from different rabbis. But the crux of it is really to go through our history. <laughs> Excuse me. And the history of the Jewish people really begins with the person of Abraham. You see, God called Abraham out of his land, out of the place that he lived. It was a place called Ur. And when God calls Abraham out of Ur, what He does is He tells him to leave everything that he has and He says that I have this promised land for you. And so Abraham believes God, he gives up everything, he trusts in the Lord and he follows Him. And it says actually, the Scriptures say that his faith in God is credited to him as righteousness. And isn't that interesting? So, this is such a beautiful example for us as to what sometimes God is asking us to do is to give up everything for Him. And many times, as Jewish people who are believers in Jesus, we have to do that because we become completely ostracized from our family, from our loved ones, often our careers. Because the one thing, again, I said that we're not allowed to do is believe in Jesus. So 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 often, becoming to faith in Jesus means we have to leave everything to follow him. And that's really what was set up for Abraham at this point in time. But then God makes this promise to Abraham, and he tells Abraham that through his seed, through his Child, that all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. (coughs) I guess I need water. This child's name is Isaac. (coughs) Isaac, then, is asked by God, asks Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. (coughs) God. And had just told Abraham that through this child that all of the nations of the world were going to be blessed, but yet he asked him to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham was obedient to God and took his son up. It's, it's not really known about this story often within Christian circles, but it, it's, uh, it's very clear from the text that Isaac is an adult at this point in time, not a child. He's old enough to carry his wood that he's going to build the altar on, is what it says. He carries his own wood. <laughs> But Abraham understands that God made a promise and God won't lie. So even if he offers his own son as a sacrifice, that God could raise him from the dead. And he believed that. And so what he did is he brought his son and he never had to offer him as a sacrifice. Interestingly, at this point in time when he goes up, he tells Isaac that God will provide for himself a lamb for a sacrifice. Then this promise then passes on to Isaac of all the nations of the world being blessed. Then ch- passes on to his child, Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 male children. And these children really become the, uh, the forefathers of the people of Israel, the ones who now call themselves the Jewish people. And of these 12 children, these 12 male children, the second to the youngest of them's name is Joseph. And Joseph is a fascinating character because there's so much imagery and, and foreshadowing of Jesus, the person of Jesus, specifically interacting with Jewish people and non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, regarding Joseph. You see, because Joseph has this dream that all of his brothers are going to serve him, and they become jealous and even upset, and they decide that they're going to have him killed, so they're going to sell him off to the Gentiles, and they decide to instead sell him into slavery. How interesting is this that we have a Jewish man who all the other Jewish people who, who has this understanding that the other Jewish people are going to serve him and they become jealous and they sell him over to the Gentiles to be killed. Much like Jesus. And interestingly actually when Joseph then becomes in, into the servitude of the, uh, of, of the Egyptians and other people he finds himself either elevated into positions of power or being set up and then falling into trouble and eventually he falls into the prison of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh has this um, this dream, this really burdensome dream that he can't interpret, he can't understand. None of the people of the kingdom of Egypt can understand. And somebody tells him, they remember, that there's an individual in Pharaoh's dungeon, Joseph, who can interpret dreams. So Joseph comes out and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh that ends out, through the interpretation, saving from a massive famine that affected the entire world. And so because he is so thankful that Egypt is not suffering from this massive famine because of Joseph, that he makes Joseph the most powerful person in all of his kingdom. So we have this Jewish man who's rejected by his Jewish brothers, accepted by the Gentiles and made a king. Sounds like Jesus. And then interestingly, his brothers then fall into this famine too and they don't know what happened to Joseph. But his brothers then come into Egypt because they understand that Egypt has food and they come to try to get food and supplies so that they won't starve also as so much of the world was suffering. And then when they come and they see Joseph, they don't even recognize him the first time, much like the Jewish people don't recognize Jesus as their promised Messiah. Eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they all move into Egypt and they begin to thrive there and to multiply. And after hundreds of years they multiply in such a great number that the current Pharaoh does not remember the wonderful things that Joseph did and so he sees this massive group of, this mass, this large group of people as more of a threat to himself and to his kingdom than to a blessing. And so he decides to enslave them. And it says that even when they're enslaved, they can multiply it even more. And what a fascinating thing. It's just like the church. Because when we are persecuted, we multiply more. And so what happens then after this is they, as they continue to multiply more, he decides, he says, I'm going to kill all of the male children born to the Hebrews so that we can eliminate this problem. And so he decides to do this. He puts out this edict and one woman takes her baby, her Hebrew baby, she puts him in a basket, she floats him down the river and he is discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter and he's he's raised in the home of Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt and his name is Moses. And Moses understands that he is a Hebrew, that he's an Israelite. And when he becomes an adult, he sees how horribly his people are being treated and one day, he sees an Egyptian man beating one of his fellow Israelites, and he kills the Egyptian man and flees out of fear for what will happen to him. But God tells him that he is going to use him powerfully to free the Jewish people from their slavery. And the way that he is going to... Egypt, Moses talks to Pharaoh, he says... Once you release the Jewish people, this plague will come upon you. Plague comes, Pharaoh relents for a short time. After the plague, after the plague, or after he laments, God brings the plague back, and then Pharaoh decides he's not going to release the Jewish people. So it starts with turning the Nile River. And then Pharaoh says, okay, that's enough. And so then God changes the Nile River back into water, and then Pharaoh says, I'm not going to release the Jewish people. This continues for ten times. This brings us to what we do with the second cup. So what I need everybody to do is to lift up your second cup, imaginary cup, with your left hand. And then I need you to take your right pinky finger. Keep in mind, I think that this portion of the Passover is to scare children. So we need to be loud. But what we do out? So what I will do is I will dip my finger into the cup, I will put a dot of it on my plate, and I will yell out each of these plagues. And so then you guys will follow me with each of these plagues by dipping your finger and then yelling them out. And if we're not loud enough to scare kids, we've done something wrong. So the first one is blood, blood. Frogs, frogs, lice. Swarms, Swarms, pestilence, pestilence. blisters, blisters. Yuck. yuck. That's not real, but you guys always fall for that one. <laughs> Hail, Hail. locust, Locus. darkness, darkness. Death, death. Because the last one is the death of the firstborn. How many people here are the firstborn in their homes? So there's not too many of us here. Here we got a couple. Not too many of us, but it would have been a good number of people because there's always a firstborn in every home. And what happened was is the firstborn in every home was struck dead in Egypt unless they took a lamb and they sacrificed it. And they took its blood and they put it, it says, on the lintel and on the doorposts of every home like this. Home that had the blood of the lamb was passed over on this judgment of the firstborn being struck and dead at this date. And so what happened was is the Jewish people then all heeded Moses and they all took the blood, they took a lamb, they sacrificed it, they ate the lamb, they took its blood and they put it on the top, so the lentil, in the doorposts of every home and they were all passed over this judgment. But then this judgment hit every single house of Egypt to where the firstborn was killed. This is the exact same calendar day that Jesus died on the cross for us. So the same day that the people of Israel were passed over the judgment of the death of the firstborn is the same calendar day that we are passed over the judgment that's due to us for our... Because the blood of our lamb Jesus was shed on our account, so then we can be passed over the judgment of Jesus and so what happens then is Pharaoh then laments of this and after Pharaoh laments of this what what he does is he says that okay you people can go and so the people of Israel all leave and they come and they run up to this great ocean, this great sea, excuse me, not ocean, sea in front of them, and then Pharaoh gets angry again, and he sends his army to come after the people of Israel. God tells Moses to lift up his arms, and then God separates the sea, this great sea, And so the people of Israel all pass through this great sea and then Pharaoh's army comes charging in after them and the sea collapses on Pharaoh's army and the Jewish people pass that day from slavery into freedom. This is celebrated on a Jewish holiday that we call firstfruits. It's during the Passover week. It always occurs on the first day of the week after the Passover. And the Passover lasts for an entire week, so it always encompasses that. So, do you guys know what the first day of the week is? Sunday. Sunday. Sometimes people say Monday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Look at your calendars. But anyway, so so Sunday, the first day of the week. And so what happens is, after the Passover, the Sunday after the Jewish people passed from slavery to freedom, that's the same calendar day that our Lord rose from the dead. It's a Jewish feast called first fruits. It's listed in Leviticus 23. And Paul actually calls Jesus the firstfruits of the resurrection. The same day that the Jewish people passed from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promises of God is the same day we pass from slavery and sin and death to freedom in Jesus and eternal life if we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. Because sin leads to death. And Jesus overcame that by resurrecting from the dead on that faithful day. And so, with the Jewish people, what we do after this is we, we go through, and again, we don't have an understanding of Jesus and the things that He did, but we go through our history, and when we go through songs of thanks, we sing a song called Dayenum, which means it would have been enough, which usually I'll sing, but for time's sake we're not going to do it, and also for my voice's sake and your ears' sake I'm not going <laughs> to sing it. And so, and so we go through this phrase that says that it wouldn't be enough if God had just done this, but yet He did so much more. And so we, we just continue with this and we go through these times of thanks and then we enter into a time to where we go over the rest of the things that we, we have here. So what we have on every, seder plate, on every Seder table is a plate like this that has different elements in it. Can I have a young volume? You don't have an allergy to nuts, do you? Okay, good. Okay, come here. So what we do is we actually, we eat different things that remind us of different things. So one of the things that we eat are bitter herbs. Have you guys ever had horseradish? Do you like spicy food? Sometimes. Okay. Okay. So what we do, we eat horseradish. And the reason that we eat horseradish is because it reminds us of the tears of our ancestors when they were in slavery. So we're supposed to take enough to make us cry. (laughs) She says, hmm? (laughs) So we just put a little bit on the cracker. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I'm kidding. So what we do is actually, we we dip this. This is matzah, right? It's just a cracker. It's the world's oldest cracker and gluten-free in case you have a problem. And we dip it just briefly, so just dip it a little bit in the horseradish. Do you want to try that for me? You can try it it's It's a little spicy. How is it okay. it's okay you know I've never got an okay reaction from any kid i I like you you're you're tough I like that and then, and then what what we do is we actually have this other thing this is actually delicious it's called it's called uh why am I trying to blame?" I just did 30 Passover Seders over the last month. Uh, it, it, this is, I'm, I'm going to think of this. Anyway, what I'll describe it first. So what it is, is this delicious combination of apples, cinnamon, nuts, honey, and grape juice. And what it is, is it's sweet. It's, call, it's called, uh, I'm going to read it. Where are you? <laughs> Why am I drawing a blank? <laughs> come on Trevor I can't believe this I've, uh, something I've done since a child and I'm drawing a blank this is a first for me anyway the, it's, it's kind of the consistency of, of like a paste and it's because it reminds us of the bricks that we made when we were in slavery okay charot of course there we go Trevor and uh, and so, but but it's delicious and sweet because it reminds us of the sweetness of freedom, right? So we do the same thing with this. This one's delicious, okay? So what we do is we, we take it and we dip. And it's just apples and cinnamon and nuts and honey. It's delicious stuff. And we dip it in there and then you want to take a bite of that? How is it? Good. See, that's good. All right. Thank You can have the rest of that cracker if you want. Thank you so much for your help. Appreciate it. And so, we also, during the Passover Seder, we have a couple other things on the table. (laughs) We have an egg. But that would have been a later tradition, wouldn't have been around at the time of Jesus. And the reason that we have an egg is because the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and it was burned to the ground. And see, so we have the egg to remember that, that the temple, that was something that was so important to Jewish worship, was burned, but yet it's an egg that shows that the Lord still preserved us despite that over time. We also have a lamb shank bone because we do not eat lamb any longer during the Passover. And we don't eat lamb any longer during the Passover because the temple isn't around anymore. And so instead, we we eat other things, but we don't eat lamb because we can't offer the sacrifice at this point in time. It just can't be done for the Jewish people in their homes. And this really kind of concludes the second cup and really enters into my, what, what as a child was my favorite part of the Passover Seder we eat. And so we get together and we have this delicious meal and we, we really gather. It's a time of fellowship with many of us who have maybe haven't seen each other for a year because we travel from all over to see our families and to celebrate this time. And then after the Passover Seder, what happens is that the kids go and they look for the matzah for the off. Go and they find it. And the person that leads the Seder then gives them a financial reward for it because it's valuable. And what we do is we take the bread and we unwrap it and then we say a prayer, Baruch Eloheinu Melech Mim HaAretz. We all break off a piece and then we all eat it. And this is where Jesus institutes communion. You see, because what we have here is we have a piece of bread. It has no yeast in it. Paul says that yeast symbolizes sin. And so, this is pure, sinless. As I pointed out before, there's three pieces of bread in one pouch, so it's three in one. Much like our Lord is three in one in His Holy Trinity. It has holes in it. It's pierced. Like our Lord was pierced for us in His hands and His feet and His side. It is striped. It has these stripes down it, like our Lord was stricken for us. So that we didn't have to suffer for the sin that we created in the way that He did for eternity, in an eternal sense, so that we can be forgiven. And this piece of bread, as you noticed, it's two and three. It is broken. Like our Lord was broken. It's wrapped in a cloth like He was wrapped in a burial cloth. We hide it so it's buried and then it comes back from burial and then Jesus says, this is My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. He's showing them who He is. His character, His nature, and what He is about to fulfill on our behalf. And before His death and before His resurrection, the saints tradition pointed to these things. And the Jewish people that do not believe in Jesus carry on this tradition without knowing really what it was intended to point to even to this day. The next cup that we have is called the cup of redemption. Excuse me. Yes, Redemption. And the cup of redemption is the cup that Jesus takes when He institutes communion. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this cup, it is representing the new covenant. The new covenant was the thing that the prophet Jeremiah had spoken of in Jeremiah chapter 31 that says that God is going to do a new thing where He's going to put the law on our hearts. It's no longer going to have to be on stone tablets, but it's going to come on our hearts where God will send His Spirit upon us and says that this new covenant He will remove our sin from us. And Jesus is saying that this is about to be done in His blood, where His blood is going to make us clean. And He says, do this in remembrance of Him. So we all would take of the cup after we say the prayer, Baruch Eloheinu Melech olam, borei prehagafen. And we do this in remembrance of what Jesus had done. And then this last cup here is actually, it's called the cup of restoration. And if we go, look in Luke chapter 22, you'll see that there's a cup that Jesus does not drink out of. You see, it says in verse 18, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Because what happens is this last cup is about God redeeming everything. And yet we're waiting for Him to do this. You see, they have a place setting in every Jewish home that nobody sits on. It's for the prophet Elijah. So the children, they all go outside and they yell for Elijah. They say, Elijah, Elijah! And He doesn't come. But they're waiting for Elijah because the very last prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures in Malachi is that, uh, in the prophet Malachi is that he says that Elijah will come before the Lord appears, before the Messiah appears. And so the Jewish people, because they do not believe that Jesus is Messiah, they do not understand that John the Baptist is the one who came in the spirit of Elijah beforehand. They don't understand. And so they're still waiting. And so these people that have all of these powerful traditions are still waiting but yet you guys are able to enter into this thing that they can't. There's something that's so important to understand. People can know a lot about God. The Jewish people can know so much about God. But without Jesus, you cannot know Him. Where each and every one of us here has an opportunity to know Him, these people who are His brethren might not know a lot about Him, but they probably don't know Him unless they know Jesus. And so this is really what our ministry does, is we reach out to the Jewish people with saving faith. And so if there's anyone here, and something that I always want to make clear, if anywhere that I ever speak, I, I actually, I'm the branch leader here in Minnesota for Chosen People Ministries. And, and if, if there's ever anyone that we can help, any Jewish loved one that anybody has share the gospel with, we just want to let you guys know we're a tool for you. So use us. We have resources. We'll meet with anybody. We'll help you, prepare you to share your faith with a Jewish person that you know or love. And if, if we have books that we can give away. We, ha- we have websites that have tons of information on these things. And we'll meet with anybody face to face and just want people to know that because it's such a wonderful opportunity that we have to be able to enter into this eternal our sin sins forgiven and to be able to forever because he rose from the dead on that third day that not everybody has this opportunity, but we sure can share with them and give them those opportunities. So thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate the ability to be here and to do this. And now as we're about to take communion, I believe we're going to do that now, right, Pastor? Yeah, as we're about to take communion, and you're going to lead that for us, right, Pastor? Okay, as we're about to take communion, I just want us all to remember powerfully this message that the Lord had presented to us and the historic backdrop for some of us, maybe the first time when He says, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. I just want us to understand what He was pointing to in His death, in His resurrection, this powerful prophetic inference. Thank you, guys. Amen. Amen. Oh, if anybody wants at the end, I do have these brochures that let anyone know how they can pray for us or how they can help support us in the ministry that we want in there on the back table. Thank you, guys.